Wonderful. Actually, we're just going to set this to the side. I want to see everybody. So if you, if you have a Bible, your sword, if you want to go ahead and open it, wherever you want to open it to, it doesn't matter. Just go ahead and open it so that we know that you're open, right? That's a joke. Yeah, just, if you want to take out your Bible, that'd be great. We'll have two passages we're going to go into or your lightsaber. As was prophesied through uh, Prophet Bob Jones, there'd be beams of light shooting forth from the hands. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I would like to also say a prayer. Um, if everybody would just like to reach your hands out to the Father. It's really important that we surrender ourselves, I've found over the years. Just like how peop- the police, when the police come to the, someone's door and they say, Come out with your hands up! <laughs> You know, it's a it's a form of surrender, okay? You guys want to go ahead and raise the roof with me? Can you do that? Yeah? We're going to hold the roof up together. We're all pillars of light in here. Father, thank you so much for your salvation. Thank you for your glorious ways. Thank you that you have come into the world as a light, and you have shown us how to, how to declare liberty and truth unto the captives and the slaves of this world. And that there is a true freedom in you. And we bless your holy name that we can bring a, a greater freedom that America has to offer unto the nations. In your mighty name we pray, Yeshua, Yehoshua HaMashiach, or Jesus the Christ, unto the Father in heaven. Amen. amen. All right. So, I, uh, I got to work with, I was honored, I got to work with Paul a few weeks ago. We got to uh, remove a whole bunch of dead branches and trees, and we got to pile it about seven feet high on that poor little yellow ranger outside (laughs) in a trailer. And during that time, we just got to really connect. And, I mean, I really love Paul. Paul is like an apostolic father to a lot of us. The Lord has put him into a position to kind of show us young men and women what what a fatherly role model is. And uh, it just encourages me to do the same for others. Um, but during that time, we had about a half-hour uh, route taking back roads because our load was so big, we didn't want to test it on the interstate. <laughs> and uh, so we took all back roads across Roseville. And during that time, Paul just said, probably about five minutes into the ride, he said to me, how did you do it? With no real role model in your life that he could see, how, how? And it's like, you know, there's only one way. The father. He was a father to me. Even when I, when I thought he was just a judgment, I thought he was a, a, a pointing of a finger and a, a say-sayer type of thing. And he, he revealed himself to me in a way that I, I never thought that a, a, an awesome guy could be. He wanted a relationship with me. He, he wanted me to surrender myself in a way so that he could love on me. And, and through that, it, it taught me morality. It, it taught me uh, justice, not this world's justice. It taught me uh, how to not be myself anymore and to be what he has for me. Okay? It sounds kind of weird. But what I want to speak on today, I prayed to him. I said, Lord, or during that ride, Paul, after we, me and Paul got done riding, he said, Clifton, I'd really like for you to share this with the Lydia house. 
And he said, could you do that? And I'm like, well, you know, I guess. <laughs> and so I, I thought on that, and I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, how do I share this? How do I share this? And he finally answered me last night, <laughs> you know, the last minute. And uh, I was sitting down with my wife, and, and she said, what are you doing? I said, reading Bible Gateway. She said, I'll leave you alone. I said, no, don't leave me alone. <laughs> you know, I'll read out loud. And, and I told her, I said, I prayed to God, what, what should I share with the Lydia house and others? And he really put it on my heart. Uh, well, he put it on my heart a week, a week prior, like just after the sermon last week uh, that our wonderful beloved over here gave. He put it on my heart what to share. I just didn't know how to share it. And it was how we are trophies. We are his trophies. And, and so I didn't know how to share that with you guys. And so um, as I prayed through the week, he finally answered me. And where he led me was, if you guys would like to turn or pull out your lightsabers, whatever, would be in uh, Psalm 65. Psalm, and I'm actually going to be reading from the message. That's what my Bible gateway was on when I looked it up. And it actually doesn't show it in, in the same exact way in other Bible references. But I will read from this, and if you guys would like to follow along, that'd be great. Um, let me know when you're there. Just shout an amen, I guess. Amen. All right. So Psalm 65, verse uh, 2 through 8. We all arrive at your doorstep sooner or later, loaded with guilt, our sins too much for us. But you get rid of them once and for all. Blessed are the chosen Blessed the guest at home in your place. We expect, we expect, we expect our fill of good things in your house, your heavenly man say. All your salvation wonders are on display in your trophy room. That's what, that's what this uh, reference says. All of your salvation and wonders are on display in your trophy room. I was like, wow, God, I didn't even know you had something about the trophy room in your book. That was great. And it touched me deeply. So I want to engage with you guys in the front for a moment. Do you guys have any idea of like where you would receive a trophy? If you'd like to raise your hand and I can call you out. Anybody here in the front where you might, where would you receive a trophy? What kind of sport event? Tennis, basketball. Who said foot? You said football. Who else? You said football. Yeah, volleyball. Yep. Lacrosse. Yeah. Anything else? Hockey. Baseball. Wrestling. Yes. Yeah. My son, he would be all for that. He's a wrestler. Sailing. Just trophies and sailing. Gymnastic and dancing, yes. Swimming. So all these are wonderful ways to receive a trophy, and you can actually take these and, and translate it into the Bible. Like, you know, Jacob wrestled with God. You know, he, he couldn't really win, so God put his hip out of place. Uh, swimming, you know, Jonah, he received a, a trophy for finally listening. You know, and uh, tennis, I... Maybe some people rack it back and forth with God. I don't know. Moses served in Pharaoh's court. 
Et voilà. Ok, there you go. But one specific. No, 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 no. You're a child of God too. And you're in front too. You're like one of the biggest children in here, Paul. <laughs> do you know when this, when this pile was stacked high, I said, Paul, do you think we, this is, this is enough? He said, no, we can go higher. And Paul got on top of the truck and started jumping on it like it was a trampoline to stack it the pile down lower so he could get more. So yeah, he's a child at heart. I didn't want to offend him, but I had to ask him his age because I was just so in awe. God has a covenant with this man, definitely. So uh, <laughs> one idea that really comes to mind with me that is really Bible reference is running the race. The trophy of running the race. The glory that is found in completing and getting to the finish line. Have you guys ever ran a race? You have ran a race. Did you take first, second, third, fourth, or fifth at all? or You took fifth? Third and fifth. First? Dude, you are fast. That is, were you racing yourself or someone else? That is cool. Fourth? Okay, well, some, something that goes with, okay, you first two? I heard another first. That's awesome. That's big time. I took first maybe once or twice along the way. But something that really became significant with me is, with that is, usually with a, when you're running a race, the, the trophy or the, that you receive is usually a medallion in the place that you, that you get. And this medallion you can actually take and put around your neck and you can wear it. Well, what I have found is that we are his trophy and that we are his vessel. And, and in that, he can wear us. He can suit us. He can, he can take on... And we can be his suit. When we enter his, his uh, when we receive the salvation, when we're justified, sanctified, we will then be glorified in his name. The same way that he was glorified is what I found. And then he can reach into his trophy case at any time. And he can take any one of us out of that trophy case and say, look, here is my mercy. Here is my grace. Here is my justice. Here's, here's my, any, my conquering iniquity of the world. Here's my conquering the enemy who stood against me and tried to take my throne. And he can put us on and show us off to the rest of the world the same way he's doing me right now. It, this is the world. We are in the world and we each have a world that we live in. We, we come from a different world maybe, a different household, a different neighborhood, a different background, a different city, a different state, even with the Alexanders, a different co- continent and country, you know, and, uh, and many others that might be here as well. But in no matter what, he can take you and put you on like a suit and wear you as a trophy and strut his stuff <laughs> and showing who he is, okay? It says, uh, it says in, uh, one of the books, <laughs> It says uh, that we are we are not supposed to be prideful or arrogant about anything, and we're supposed to boast in nothing but in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then that's how the Lord can start his stuff, is when we boast in the Lord to others. So a little about me. Okay. Half hour. We're down 10 minutes. Um, I was born and raised in South Minneapolis, Richfield area. Uh... My mom came from a broken family of uh, Finlanders, 
and partial Indians. And uh, my dad came from a broken family of Indians and African-American. My mom left the home from Hopkins, where she was raised when there was dirt roads, and uh, went to a bar one day when she wasn't saved and met my dad at this bar. And they ended up growing a, a relationship. And through that, they had my sister and I. There was a lot of brokenness in between that. Uh, because of the way my dad was raised and the way that my mom was raised, there was rebellion, there was uh, mistrust, there was uh, immoral ways and actions. Uh, they did things outside of marriage, which is definitely not condoned in the biblical manner. Uh, and only because God wants the best for us, not because he's a ruling, judging God, but that he knows the kind of love that we really need in our life. But we in the world, we seek for love in all the wrong ways. And it's, it's not really our fault uh, in a way because it's just the way the world has operated from the principalities and dark forces of this world. We use our lightsabers against dark forces so in our Bibles. But um, what happens is, is we have the, the power of choice, something that God had given us. And what my mom and my dad chose may not have been the best, but it did bring me out. Okay? But I was, I was raised in a mucky mess. There was a lot of mud. There was a lot of ickiness. And so I got to, I got raised in this pig pen style, I guess you would say. Okay? Uh, I didn't even get to be a son before I became a prodigal. I just was raised in prodigalness. <laughs> and so, um, and through this, I got, I had, I witnessed a lot of atrocities. Uh, really bad things that were coming out of the environment. Minneapolis was actually one of the, it was labeled, it had a bad label on it as the murder capital of the world when I was raised in it. A lot of people were fleeing Minneapolis and moving to Compton around that time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, now Compton is actually what Minneapolis was. So it shows you that you can't really run away from it, you should kind of face it. But anyway, uh, inside of this, um, I, I received a, a bad characterized, a, ba a bad character. I, I, I was raised that guns were cool and they can be used on people. I was raised that uh, women were more of a tool than they were of a, uh, of a partner. Um, I was raised that uh, it, didn't, it didn't matter as, as long as you got ahead. That's all that mattered. And um, my mom was kind of like a rebellion against the church. And so she more or less showed us things of the world. And so, and, uh, and I was really in love with my mom. And so I trusted everything she had to offer me. And so holidays and everything didn't really have to do with Christ. They had to do with what the world had to offer on these days of holidays. They weren't holy days. They were holidays. Well, I was also raised on knowing false gods, such as Zeus and Hercules and Athena and stuff like that. And so I idolized this. And I had took on the, 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 the misconception. Uh, I took on the wrong idea that maybe one day I could become a god. I was like, wow, maybe I could become so strong and powerful one day that I could rule this world in a way too. And so that's what I aimed for. That's why I went after that. As long as I was rich and I could buy my own stuff, I could do this. 
So at a very early age, I became a thief. I really looked up to Alibaba and the 40 thieves. I loved them. You know, they, they could take whatever they wanted and they can have it. And they lived a life of just, just recklessness. And uh, nobody could stand in their way. So I took that on. I put that falsehood on like a cape. Uh, and I didn't like bullies. And so I would bully bullies. You know, even though I was small, my, my dad had raised us. When he was in our life, he would raise us to defend ourselves and to defend the weak in a way that isn't very godly. It was more abuse. And, uh, yeah, these are all the, the things I put on through life. Well, it started getting so bad in our community. And, uh, and my mom had an ex that was really, really abusive and caught up in drugs. He used to abuse me and my mom a lot as a child. And um, I had promised myself that this would never happen to us again, that I would stand up to him. But uh, but the good thing is that my mom took a stance and she moved us out to Hopkins. Well, the problem was when she brought me to Hopkins, Hopkins had never met a, a kid like me. And so I had like this free reign to act reckless. And it was and all the kids loved it. So I became a, a reckless leader. And by the age of 13, um, I was introduced to sell drugs to uh, my fellow classmates and stuff. And so at a young age, I was dabbling in everything the world had to offer, and I was, I was set on course to become the God that I wanted to be, where I could take on other gods. Well, uh, I lived this way all the way until the age of about 16, I dropped out of high school at the age 16. I made more money than my mom around this time. She may not have known. Probably three times her yearly wage I was making by the age of 16. And she was a supervisor with GMAC Mortgage around that time. So she was living pretty good and uh, at coming out of the slum. And then um, at the age 16, around age 15, though, my mom had this transformation we didn't really get along. I was in and out of courts. I had a counselor um, named Joan who I was there for theft, but I would steal from her while I was there. So she thought that was like good counseling. Um, and she would she would put her burdens on me rather than me on her. And so it was more like I was counseling her and learning how to manipulate. And so it just didn't work. But from 13 to 15, I had to go through this. And... Uh, I don't know, it's just my mom started having this change that wasn't coming from her counselor. It was coming from a different, it was different. I couldn't really get my hands on it. I didn't really live with my mom around this time either. She couldn't take it anymore. So I had to go live with, uh, I didn't have to, but I chose to go live with family instead because I had, I had that free reign I once had with her, with them, because she was trying to lock things down on me. Um, so... At one point, she got a house. She asked me to come back and live with her, that her life was straightened out. I did. And there was something different about her. We weren't yelling at each other anymore. There was She wasn't slamming the door in my face and going into her room and escaping me. <laughs> and um, she was more or less confronting it. And she had this courage that I've never seen before inside of her. And, and then one day I came home from a really late night on the streets, and she shared it with me. And she said, I accepted Jesus. And uh, she's like, and I want you to know about him. 
And I was like, Mom, I just got out of lockup because I had served some time in a county home school where bad kids go when the when the authorities and the courts get their hands on them. And while I was in there, I kind of learned about false prophets such as Jim Jones and uh, with purple Kool-Aid and and uh, I learned a false concept of Martin Luther and uh, in the streets there was a lot of gangs called Bloods, Crips, Vice Lords, GDs. I didn't want any part of them and I looked at the church that they were also like gangs with Lutherans, Catholics, Presbyterian and I was like and they're always at war with each other and I'm like it ain't no well, I'm not gonna, I'm not set claiming in the streets, so I'm not set claiming in the church either. I was like, I want nothing to do with any of it, I'll just be the kingpin and the god. But anyway, so she shared it with me, and I told her, I said, I don't want to be part of it, you need to get out of it now. They're gonna sacrifice you to this god that you want to serve, and I'm scared for your life. And she told me that she really believed that the Lord was gonna reveal himself to me, and so she really wanted me to ask him to reveal himself to me. We got in a debate about it, and my my drugs were upstairs and my money was upstairs, and the only way I could get to that was if I said yes, because she wasn't going to let me buy her. And so I just said, all right, Mom, what do you want me to say? And we got in an argument about what I was supposed to ask for, and I was like, fine. <laughs> so I go upstairs in my room. I'm upstairs. And I, I try to satisfy myself with alcohol, with drugs, and with video games. But I couldn't find satisfaction with any of these things. And I was just like, what is going on? I tried to call my friends. Back then, we didn't have cell phones. We memorized our numbers, or we wrote them down on a piece of paper. And I went through, like, the whole sheet of paper on both sides with all my friends, and nobody answered the phone. My pager wasn't going off. There's these little things called pagers. It looked like a box. You know, and it would go beep, 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 beep if someone tried to get a hold of you and you had to read it and call them back on a phone. It was a weird system. These things come in handy. But uh, that wasn't going off. And so, and I really idolized people who were involved in sex trafficking. They were called pimps. That's what my dad was while I was growing up. That's the reason why my mom left him, because he wouldn't denounce it. And, uh, well, anyway... I had a, a dob hat, which is a top hat with a feather in it for every single outfit that I would wear. And these were really expensive hats, anywhere between 30 to $80 a hat. Well, one of my hats was missing a feather. And so as I looked around my room and thought in my life, she didn't know I had two cars at that time. You know, and I, I would park them away from the house. She didn't know all the different things that I owned in different people's homes and whatnot. And so she didn't know that I would ask for something so simple as a feather. But when I looked around my room and saw that there was nothing that I didn't already have, and there was nothing I didn't already have access to with tens of thousands of dollars at this time, at the age of 15, 16, I saw that I was missing a feather, and all I could think was, if the God of the universe is real, he can obviously respond to me by giving me a feather. And so I went to my windowsill and I asked him. And the first miracle that ever took place in my life, I asked for. I said, God, if you're real, if my mom is right, if you came down here to help us out, and if this gospel thing is real, if there's an enemy after our soul and you're here to help us. And, and, I, and I stated the whole, not spiel, but the whole good news of the gospel that she declared to me downstairs. I said, if this is real, 
then how about you give me a feather? And if you give me a feather, I will give myself over to you when you ask. I said this, not knowing what would come with it. So, uh, I waited at that windowsill for a few hours, but nothing miraculous happened. No feather came down from the heavens. No bird flew by and dropped one off to me. You know, the ostrich that we were misconceived about that carried babies into the world didn't come and drop me a feather. Uh, instead, I sat there and I fell asleep at the windowsill and got a bad, bad cramp in my neck when I woke up hearing my mom clinging around in the, in the kitchen at 5.30 in the morning. I said the prayer around 1, around 5.30, I heard my mom. Well, I went downstairs, I told my mom, I said, this whole thing's a joke, don't drink the purple Kool-Aid, I'm out of here. And because I didn't receive the feather. And uh, I went out and I partied my life out for three weeks. I got shot at. We got jumped in the woods by four of my friends and I got jumped by nearly 50 plus people. And we made our way out. We hospitalized a lot of men and we didn't have a scratch on our body. Uh, I went through all kinds of crazy parties and gotten crazy brawls at them and and not had a scratch on me by the end of these three weeks i was like okay this is nuts i need some peace so i was like the only place i know where there's peace where nobody knows where i'm at is mama's house so i figured i could go so early that that i could have some time to spend there without her being there but i could go late enough where she wouldn't be there i could be alone and so i i started walking home uh from this party at about five in the morning it was still going and I, by the time I got home, she wasn't there. I saw her car wasn't there from the end of the street. Excuse me. Drank some caribou a little while ago. But so uh, I get to the end of the driveway, and I'm just out of my senses. Uh, I hadn't slept all night long. Again, I went through a really reckless three weeks. I just wanted to escape into some safety. And as I went to the end of the driveway, I saw some feathers on the ground, blue jay feathers. I was like, oh, no, we had some blue jays in the tree. Maybe our cat got to the blue jays, you know, and I was like, darn, darn cats. We're not going to let them outside anymore. But then I started walking up the driveway more, and then there was like a little bit of red feathers scattered. And I just started thinking weird thoughts, you know, and then there was next there was like duck feathers. <laughs> and I'm like, is there a bird fight <laughs> in my driveway? And then I saw these these white feathers floating, and I was like looking up, and they were coming out of the windowsill from where my room was, and I was like, "No, this can't be true." <laughs> and it dawned on me the prayer that I had said, "If you give me a feather." Well, then I started getting angry, saying, "Why do I have to go through the life that I lived?" Why did I have to experience these horrible, awful things? Why did I have to witness my mom bleeding out on the floor with a lump on her head from a man who said he loved her and abused her and I? Why did I have to witness my father abuse women tied down on a table and having my stepmom do horrible things? Why did I have to witness bullies and street gangs and and being shot at and stuff like that. Like living in the Midwest and experiencing the old Wild West. And it didn't make any sense to me. 
But as I kept walking, I had these feathers in my hand, just like, this is crazy. I get to the back door, and I try to pull the back door open. And, uh, well, when I opened the back door, I went to go reach down for a key where we would keep a key hidden by the back door. And nothing could get into this three-season porch except for a human allowing it in because the way that the porch was set up, you had to yank the door in order to get in there. And by the back door, when I reached down to grab a key, there was one perfect feather sitting by the back door that slid right into my dob hat. And on one side, it was black with a purple tint. On the other side, it was white, white as snow. Just like my dob hat was all black with a purple ribbon, and on the underside, it was white as snow. And I've researched, and there's not a feather that's in existence. This feather had to have come from the throne room, or he created it just for me. Well, I fell to my knees. I didn't know what repentance was, but I fell to my knees, weak. It says in the Bible, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Well, without knowing this, my knees buckled. And I put down everything. And I said, you are Lord. You are Lord. Thank you for answering me. Who am I that you are to answer me? You know, when you ask me, I'll come. Well, I told my mom, and she said, praise the Lord, hallelujah, I'm on my way home, or something like that. I don't remember the exact series. I'm 31 now, and at the time I was about 16. But my mom's faith, and by the way, I didn't tell anybody about this prayer that I said. Nobody knew that I asked for a feather until after it happened. Okay, so it was so authentic. Well, anyway, I didn't give my life to Christ right then because he didn't ask me. (laughs) And so... I lived, I continued to live this way until the age of, what did you say, mom, just before 18? And then finally, one friend of mine that disappeared for a few months came back to me. His name was David Whalen, and he said to me, Cliff, I gave my life to Christ. I really feel like you and a few people should come to church with me. It was, and it was a Monday night that he asked to come to a Wednesday night service called New Kingdom Church in St. Paul with Apostle Peter. And, He said, Cliff, God has showed himself to you in a miraculous way because my inside circle of friends knew about this. And people started calling me Jesus freak because of this. But uh, they were scared to really, like, name call me. They were more like saying, you're a Jesus freak, dude, because of the kind of brutality that I had. But so uh, my friend David invited us. We went on a Wednesday night. And on that night, uh, God showed up. And uh, he, he told the crowd, just like a crowd is sitting here, he said, something is going to happen on this day that has never happened before. Uh, he said, there's someone here that the Lord has brought. And he told me, and he said, he wants you. And he wants you to listen to this. And at the end of the service, if you want to accept, you'll have a time. So he gave a sermon and everything that he said was about my life. Everything. To a T. My friends were even looking at me like, what's going on, dude? Because <laughs> a few of my friends went. And we went full of liquor and smelling like smoke and in our fallen state. Well, anyway, at the end of this service, he said all bow- heads bowed, every eye closed. 
you know who you are and the Lord is the Lord of all heavens and creation is saying on this day you have a chance to accept me but if you walk out those doors not not as in these doors itself but if you walk out these doors you can never come back in because you're rejecting me but if you accept I will open the heavens to you forever and I just started breaking down crying because he was talking to me personally God of heaven and earth was talking to me in front of all these people. And all of a sudden I felt a hand on my hand with Apostle Peter saying, Son, come forward. The Father has some words for you. And so I went to the front and my life was radically changed and I accepted. Well, I walked it out for nine months. Yeah, hallelujah. The Lord is worthy. Well, I walked it out for nine months. I think I got about 15 minutes left. Ten So I walked it out for nine months, strong. I gave up everything except for cigarettes. I even told my high school girlfriend, I said, junior high girlfriend, I said, I can't be with you unless you get married to me. It's the only right thing to do. And so we went down to the government center and we got married. And uh, didn't do any kind of huge matrimonial thing. And it was my first wife, which failed because of me. But uh, I walked it out for nine months. And I became a messenger inside of a group called Young Warriors. And in this group, I learned the facets of what it was to be to become an apostle one day, to become a, a, a person who planted church churches throughout the world. And it was insane because the place that they had us learn was where I had the most enemies, on Chicago and Lake in South Minneapolis, a war zone at the time. And we would go on the corners and preach the gospel. And my enemies would drive by and they would point their finger at me like this. And uh, it was pretty scary, but I stood my ground. Well, after doing this for about nine months, I uh, encountered a situation that, that shook my world. A woman that I could have prayed over, who I really cared about. Uh, we were called to pray over her. She had cancer. And we were told if we prayed over her, she would have lived. Well, I didn't go because it was... It was a, a, a holiday in my life. It was uh, me and my wife's anniversary of being together, my ex-wife Amy. And so we were on our way to a movie theater, and instead of going to this woman named Katie and praying over her for healing, I said I would do it later, and I missed it. That night she died of cancer. And I took on that grief, and I was ashamed of myself that I didn't go to this calling And what made it even worse was when funeral time came, they chose me to pray over her casket as it dropped in the ground. And I was broken. And I said to him, how could you do this to me? How could you put such... You said you would never put so much on us that we couldn't bear. And this is too much. And it was more or less, if you accepted your calling, this wouldn't have happened. But there's forgiveness and grace inside of me. But I didn't listen to that. Instead, I said, I'm going to take it upon myself, Lord, and I'm going to go into the world and save as many people as I can for your kingdom. The next week, I called my old drug dealer buddy, and I said to him, I want back in. He said, I knew you were going to come back. He said, "Uh, matter of fact, we've expanded our kingdom and our reign. And he said, and I will give you back everything that you had. And so at that, before I had gave my life to Christ that Wednesday night, I had reigned from 
from North Minneapolis all the way out to Buffalo, Minnesota. And that was my sec section of selling drugs. Well, he gave that all back to me, and he actually gave me north to Hibbing as well. So I had from Minneapolis to Buffalo to Hibbing, reaching into Duluth and back to Minneapolis. And so I immediately got back to work, and within three months, I had reached a million dollars. And I had became the God that I wanted to be. And Satan gave me the keys. But then I started getting shot at, so I started shooting back at people. And people were threatening my life all the time, so I started threatening other people's lives. And so the, the main purpose of me going back into the world was completely disgraced because I had fallen so deep into sin. And Satan began to use me. And, uh, and I started to forget about church. Well, anyways, this went on for, until the age of 22. Then finally the Lord had enough. He had enough. And I was on my way. I had started my own cartel from Mexico, Nogales, Mexico. I had visited my sister in Arizona one day. She had connected me with a man who had a connection with the cartel in Mexico. And so I decided to run my own operation, and I did, and I was very successful. Uh, it was a multi-million dollar operation. We, made, we turned anywhere between 18 to $30 million a year for a few years. For two and a half years, I think it was. And, uh, but then I started partying and getting involved in the world system so much that all the money was dwindling and I didn't even notice it. I was so gone in myself that I didn't notice what I was doing. As I was rebelling, I was pulling thousands and tens of thousands of people in Minnesota and across this nation into the pit of hell with me. I was no longer a disciple of Christ. I was an evangelist for the kingdom of Satan, preaching and witnessing on behalf of hell, that hell was okay to live in by the life that I lived and the example that I portrayed. Well, anyway, it, always, it went all the way into the age of 22-ish when the Lord had me pulled over. The reason why I say the Lord had me pulled over because he also set me free from the same crime that I was being facing and I was in court, and my judges heard from the Lord and set me free from everything. From everything I had done, I had been set free. I mean, the countless things that I had done across this nation, the countless things that had rippled into eternity was washed. It's amazing. Well, I didn't know how to accept that. I was still living like I was living in it. Even though I wasn't in jail, I, my, my wife left me. Uh, I lost my house. I lost everything. I tried to win her back for three years by reading books and, and being encouraged by God, but that didn't work. And so she signed a divorce paper and, and completely left me. My wife left me. God, how could you do this? And so I rebelled a little bit again. I kept going to church, but I rebelled. And I was even though I was going to church, I wasn't really there. I wasn't the church. I was going to the building not realizing that I am the temple. I was going into somebody else's life thinking that they were the one that were going to save me and help me and that their sermon would help me that week. But really, it was something that I had to take in. I had to receive and know that I am the temple of the Most High God and He can destroy it and rebuild it in less than three days. It took Him three days for Himself. Well, anyway, finally... 
I had I actually had fallen back in the world. I started selling drugs again. I had promised God previously that I wouldn't go across the nation. So what I did was I stayed inside the state so I wouldn't break that covenant with him. And I didn't shoot guns anymore, but I was still violent, trying to save the weak and protect them and and be mightier than thou, you know. And But then uh, four years ago, the Lord broke me. And uh, he didn't just break me. He met me face to face. I had to face the eternal God in the condition that I was in. I should have been destroyed by his glory. But instead, his mercy and his grace is so awesome that he allowed me to surrender myself to him. That purpose and that calling that the judges told me, they said, you have a purpose in your life like no other that no man can come in front of. So we had to set you free. And so I never knew what that calling was, but on this day that I got to meet him, it was the fall of 2008 or 9, 2008, and I was taken out of my body to some that might seem strange. But when this happened, I looked down at myself, and I thought I was dead laying on the ground as Miss Cheryl Anderson was praying over me. And then I looked up and a blue light approached me. And it was the Holy Spirit of God. And he declared to me, he said, if you died on this day, I could not take you with me. And he wept, And there was tears falling from his face. And he mourned for what I had to go through. He didn't say, you filthy, rotten, scum of the earth, how dare you do the things you have done and double cross me. No. He said, my beloved... I love you so much and I'm so sorry for what you had to go through. But now is the time. Now is the time that you rise up and take your place in my kingdom. Come with me and let me show you what you can do. Let me give you something that you can do for me. And me for you inside of this and for the world. I said, okay, Lord, I want to come. I want to come. And he literally met me in this place in North Minneapolis on 37th and Emerson inside a sanctuary covenant office and the third office in on the left. As my body was sitting there throwing up and spewing, my spirit was outside being washed. He took me into a room and in this room there was a little boy in the corner. And he walked, he said, stay here. And he walked up to this little boy. You know, no no bigger than you. How old are you? How old are you? Six. I, I think this little boy may have been five. So a little smaller than you. And uh, he walked up and touched this little boy's shoulder. And I felt it. And I looked back and there was nobody there. And he spoke into this little boy's ear. And what he said, I heard in my ear. And then after he spoke, he, he turned back and pointed at me. And the little boy waved. And it was me. It was me as a little boy. And he healed that little boy and the little boy accepted it because he saw what I was going, what he was going to become. Then we went to another and he came over to me and he said, you are healed now. And then he, we went to another room and in this other room, there was a teenager. How old are you? 14. I was probably about maybe between 13 and 15 in this room, I would say. And there was this little boy just kicking and in the corner. It looked like he was being punished. And then uh, and then the Lord said to me, wait here. And he walked over and he touched this teenage boy. And I did it again. And he spoke into the ear and I heard it again. 
And then he turned the boy with the boy and said, look back. And he showed him himself in the future. And then the, the, the teenage boy accepted the grace and mercy of God and forgave me as an elder for what I had become. And, and then the Lord came over to me. He said, you are healed. And then he said to me, do you accept my healing, my mercy, and my grace? And I said, yes, Lord, I do. And there was so much more that he said. I don't remember everything. I probably couldn't even utter it if I could because it was all in the spirit. And I accepted him. And he said, well, then come with me and, show, and let me show you many things. And he showed me many things during this time. And he gave me my marching orders. He told me to stand on Broadway and Lindale to declare his gospel that he said uh, Minneapolis is his city of righteousness and righteousness will come forth from this city and an army will march into the ends of this earth from this place and he said if you if you declare Malachi 3 east he said he showed me we stood on the corner and he stood behind me holding me and he said, Malachi 3, declare it this way, and it will break down the spiritual barrier that is between me and this city, the eastern gate. And he said, and I will enter in such a way that nobody nobody would be able to say it wasn't him. And then he took me up high, and then he said, feed me and shelter me and clothe me. If you do it for the least of these, you've done it for me. And then I saw these little lights everywhere. They were like flickering. And basically it was the homeless and the broken and the downtrodden and the ones who really, really need us, the light, to, to open our arms and to, and to show kindness and mercy unto them, open our homes and open everything that's about Christ into their lives. And then he took me up higher and he said, if you do these things, he said, then give hope unto the youth of Minneapolis. He said, if you give hope unto the youth of Minneapolis, they will declare my name. And then he brought me back down onto the corner on Broadway and Lindale, and he pointed over at a strip mall that's there. And he said, if you do these things, I will set a house of prayer here. And it will be a light unto the nation and unto the nation's nations. And he said, uh, should you do these things? And it was basically like, he didn't say, go do these things. He said, should you do these things? He gave me the opportunity to accept or deny and either way, he would love me. Well, he said it would be as the North Star unto the slaves, and they will travel north, and you will call it North Star House of Prayer. And I accepted. And there was other things that happened, some extreme things. I saw the road, a road of abroad that leads to hell. I saw millions of souls headed that way into this pit of hell. I saw a lot of people. All they had to do was repent, and repent means just to turn and to stop walking this way. This is the way to the pit of hell, and this way is back to the the mountain of God of righteousness. Uh, after this, he put me back into my body, and uh, I walked it out. Well, it's been almost four years now. I have denounced it. I have seen thousands of people say that he is Lord. I have, uh, we did Broadway and Lindell. My ministry partner, Christopher Rush, thought it'd be wise to uh, take a tree stump and stand on top of it, carry it every single Tuesday to the corner of Broadway and Lindell and declare Malachi 3 and tell the people of the city to deroute the sin from their life before he does. 
Uh, so many months after doing this, suddenly a tornado came through the city. And the tornado ripped up almost every single tree and, uh, and derooted them. And uh, we had... We actually have had two different uh, prophecies take place, one from a man who met God the day before the tornado, uh, the, the audible voice of God inside of a shelter, and the Lord told him that his glory, his power would be revealed the next day where the tornado came through. And he would know that it was him by his two prophets prophesying on the corner. When after the tornado came, he heard my ministry partner Christopher Rush on a bullhorn telling people to come for prayer. Woo! On the bullhorn and come out, people! The Lord's justice is here. <laughs> but anyway, so he heard this. He came out and received his healing and told us that he met the Lord the day before. the The second prophecy that let us know that we were we completed our task was Bob Jones came for a conference at Redeeming Love, and uh, at this conference, everything that he spoke, almost every sixty percent of the things that Bob Jones spoke aligned with what I heard from the Lord the day that I met him. And he said that in the early 80s, the Lord came to him and told him to stop going to Minnesota because there is a religious spirit there. And so he stayed away from Minnesota, and the Lord told him about three places that were going to have tornadoes, but that Minneapolis would be spared because of the prophets who would declare his name and uh, in that city. Well, that was the same year where Joplin... Or, well, uh, Missouri, Arkansas, and Minneapolis were hit with a series of tornadoes, and Minneapolis was spared. And Bob Jones came shortly after that to declare what happened. We, we fed, sheltered, and clothed the homeless for a long time, and now it's time to give hope to the youth. So this is why I say to you guys, if he can take a broken vessel like me, lost, confused, and thought I had no place in this world, and he can use me. My testimony is not any more powerful than yours because it's, it's his, remember? We are his trophy. I'm his trophy. I'm no shinier than you are. You're no shinier than I. Just because you're a ribbon, and I might be one that stands this tall, or I might be a ribbon, you might be one that stands this tall as a trophy. Either way, he'll put you on, and he will use you. Well, now it's time to give hope. It's time to give hope to the youth and the, the, the youth and the children. Because it's the same as the, as the mountain. When the Israelites went around for 40 years, they, the youth were trained up during this time. It was the youth that marched in there and faced the giants of the land. Well, it's time to train up our youth to face the giants of the land now. The, the media, the, uh, the, the sex trafficking, the, the brokenness, the, the poverty, the hunger that is going on, the slavery. People don't think slavery still exists. Slavery is still existent. And we can take this on together, and you are a trophy that could be held up in, in that could be embodied by the Lord and be held up for to show his glory, his grace, his mercy, and his justice unto the nations. But it's you who has to accept. And so, like, with this word, I would like Paul to maybe take it from here. If you could. I like where you're going here. Uh, I want the kids to be right in here together right now. We want to pray for the kids. Any of the kids 
Are there are there any over back in there? Let's come in here together. We want to pray for the kids first, and then we'll get to the rest of you. If you're near one of the children, just put your hand on one of the kids. <clears throat> really, I'm thankful for this for this testimony, this message today. And kids, our desire for you is that you shine like lights in a dark place. And that may come as a challenge. It was sure a challenge to Clifton about shining in a dark place. And it took him a while to get the message, but once he got it, he is a flaming light for Jesus Christ now. And our prayer for you is that in your heart there will come a yes. Not a maybe, not a I'll think about it, not a no, but that today there will come just, it it can be a gentle yes, it can be a soft yes, but a strong yes that says, I want to be used by God. I want God to take my life. I want him to take my words. I want him to take my, my ideas. I want him to form me and, and use the things that I'm good at, whether it's tennis or some sport or some artistic thing or dancing or whatever, and that I give it to him and I use whatever I'm good at for him. Wouldn't that be wonderful yes. if God would use you like he's using Clifton now? Father, we pray for these children, Lord, that you would you would speak to them this morning as you've been speaking that you would speak to them that they would hear your voice and that there would be a response in their heart and also lord that you would just purify uh, their minds their hearts whatever they've heard that maybe it was difficult to hear was difficult for me to hear and lord that you would just use that because there is a lot of trouble and difficulty in this world but you allow us sometimes to hear about something that's painful and very difficult to hear and you will allow us to pray or just say father you take that now that's too much for me to bear or hear about you take that and you deal with that and thank you father that these children belong to you and you have given them a pure beautiful hearts and you have given them your mind, your thoughts. So what I want Hallelujah. you to do now, I, wanna, I want you to say, if, if you want to say yes, I want you to say it just loud enough so that you can hear. It doesn't have to be loud so anyone else can hear. But if you're saying yes today, just saying it yes so that you yourself can hear it. Okay, go ahead. Seal it in their heart, Lord. Seal it in their heart. I want the rest of you to stand. There may be people among us today that are uh, in a place of decision, place of wondering, where you haven't decided ultimately either or, that you're wondering whether you want to rule your life or let God rule it. We want to give opportunity for you to say yay or nay. God did that with Clifton on several occasions. 
You may have done it before. It's okay. You can do it again. Abraham built several different altars during his life where he surrendered. And he surrendered again. So this may be a time for you to, to surrender, to give in to a God who is compelling in his love and desiring to move in on you in a fresh way. And so I invite you, I, I urge you to respond to this living God who comes to you this day, comes to you this day through a testimony and is saying, I can use you. I can use you. You can be a display for my glory. You can be a trophy in my trophy case. You can be one that will honor me and I will use you. Or you can spend your life doing your thing, collecting your toys, serving the God of materialism. And what will you have when you get done? Father, we pray that you would now speak into hearts that are here this morning. And let them, in this time, Say yea or nay. Just in your heart. Go ahead. Make a, make a decision. Now say yes or no. Just, just loud enough that you can hear it. Just say it. What, what, your, what your word is to this God who comes to you today. Go ahead. I want to hear it. I say yes to you today, God. I say yes to your love. I say yes to your invitation. I say yes to your extravagant compassion, your outlandish assignments. I say yes to the love that has sought after me and won my heart. We bless Clifton and Lisa and Mom. Where's Mom? Mom, come up here. We want to bless her for, for coming to that place out of her own I hear rebellion and then abuse that God uh, formed you and, and turned you into a, a fighter for righteousness. Let's give him a hand. Let's just say thank you. <clears throat> And, Lord, we thank you for their testimony, for Clifton's testimony. We thank you for our testimony. We thank you for what you're going to put in our hearts so that we can have a testimony. Listen, after a test comes a testimony. When you endure and when you're faithful, when the Lord gives you tests, you can say, well, why is this happening? No, I'm going to pass the test so that I can have a testimony. If you've wondered, why does this person have a testimony? I don't have a testimony. It's because you need to turn your tests into testimonies. And the test that you are going through now, believe in a God who is faithful and he is powerful and able to bring you through and bring you to a wonderful new place. I'm going to close with the benediction. After the benediction, I want you to find one other person to pray with. We turn this into a prayer center before we turn it into a fellowship center. Find one other person, pray with them. Whatever you want to pray for them, whatever you want to receive. I'm going to give you the benediction now, and then we're going to have a prayer time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his goodness, with his mercy, with his favor, and grant you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Now, before we talk together, before we fellowship together, find a person, even if you're young, even if you're small, find one other person, and I want you to pray some prayer with them, simple prayer. I'm following Jesus. I'm going for it, whatever you want to pray.